Welcome to Highland Objects, podcasts that take you on a cultural tour of the Highlands and Islands of Scotland. Follow us on Twitter and Facebook at Highland Objects or visit the website highlandobjects.wordpress.com. podcast number two, a Christmas Highland Object special. Merry Christmas everyone, Nolig Creel Ahuladinye. Hello, my name is Rachel Thomas and I'm working with Nairn Museum on an order of their collections. Along with my colleague Eileen, we're looking through every room, cupboard and box, cleaning and documenting every object in the museum's collection. Whilst looking through the Victorian store, we came across this wee pamphlet for a Taurus Syrid, and the first thing that struck me was the design of the front cover. It's really retro with bright yellows and blues. You've got a family at the top walking through the snow, and both the wee boy and dad have a goose over their shoulder. The mother's got a huge scare and a basket full of groceries too. It looks like a classic Christmas scene. The pamphlet says is a book of old-time Christmas customs, games and recipes, dated to 1933. Inside, along with puddings and jam rolls, there's also a splendid home recipe that suggests that a teaspoon full of suet dissolved within a glass of hot water is great for coughs and sore throats, but that doesn't sound particularly appetising compared to Lemsip. And some of the games they suggest don't sound too suitable today either. There's a sculptor where someone is blindfolded and uses two teaspoons to explore the face of a friend, having to identify them from the laughter caused by being prodded with the teaspoons. But our favourite was the stool of repentance. One child goes out of the room, whilst the other players write down remarks about them. The first child then returns to the room and reads out the remarks, having to guess who said what about them. We can imagine that if played by siblings, this could result in some less than complimentary remarks, which aren't really in the spirit of Christmas. From everyone at Nair Museum, we hope you have a great festive period. Harden and I volunteer at Grome House Museum on the Black Isle, north of Inverness. It focuses on the Pictish origins of Rosmarkey, their amazing stone sculptures and an associated Celtic art archive created by the 20th century art teacher George Bain. But we also have a very small local history collection and so we thought we'd choose a Christmas item from that. It's a small brass tin, just over 12 centimetres by 8 centimetres, and is about two centimetres deep. The lid is embossed with a profile of the head of Princess Mary, centre stage, above the words Christmas 1914. Open the lid, and inside is a partially used pack of cigarettes, some pipe tobacco, and a photo of the princess with a short signed message. It originally also included a Christmas card. Princess Mary was only 17 when the First World War broke out, but she clearly wanted to show support for the troops that year. She wanted those who were at the front to receive a Christmas gift that first Christmas of World War I. It was then suggested that all who had signed up or were next of kin of casualties that year should get the present. Over two and a half million became eligible. So she appealed to everyone for support. A public letter was sent to the press and others 
to encourage donations, and they flooded in. The charm and sincerity of her appeal was irresistible. She said, I want you now to help me to send a Christmas present from the whole of the nation to every sailor afloat and every soldier at the front. I'm sure that we should all be happier to feel that we had helped to send our little token of love and sympathy on Christmas morning, something that would be useful and of permanent value, and the making of which may be the means of providing employment in trades adversely affected by the war. Could there be anything more likely to hearten them in their struggle than a present received straight from home on Christmas Day? Please will you help me? It was an extremely successful appeal. Some troops received a tin like ours. Those who didn't smoke were sent a tin containing writing paper and envelopes, pencil and a packet of acid tablets. Other gifts were sent to those from countries like India and elsewhere. However, it actually took several years for all the gifts to be distributed, but they were welcome surprises. It was a fantastic idea and one that is great to remember every Christmas. My name is Morvan MacDonald and I am the curator here at the Highland Museum of Childhood in Strathpeffer. Today I'm going to share with you two objects from our collection. The objects are advent calendars. These advent calendars are made from paper and cardboard and are approximately the same size as an A4 sheet of paper, measuring 30 centimetres high by 20 centimetres wide. It is thought these calendars date from around the 1950s. The designs printed on both calendars feature hand-painted images of stars, clouds, little children dressed as angels, holding gifts and sharing them with each other. Dotted around the central images are smaller images of Christmas trees, presents and elves. Little windows are cut into the cardboard on the calendar. And behind each of these small windows, measuring approximately one centimetre square, are images such as Santa Claus, birds, bells and gifts that children might receive, such as teddy bears, Dolls' prams, toy trains, new slippers. Number 24 on the calendar is the biggest window of all, measuring approximately 5 centimetres square. And on both calendars, behind these large windows is the nativity scene. The only identifying marks we can find on these calendars are the initials JLM. We believe these initials stand for Joseph Lang of Munich. And through some research, this is how we have identified that the calendars may date from around the 1950s. Although we know this calendar dated from around the middle of the 20th century, the first advent calendars originated from Germany in the first decade of the 20th century. Although we know them as advent calendars today, they were before that known as Christmas calendars and sometimes Nicholas calendars because often calendars were numbered from 6 to 24 and were given to children on St Nicholas's Day. I hope you have enjoyed sharing our calendars with us and I wish you a very Merry Christmas from everybody here at the Highland Museum of Childhood.
Ho, 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 everyone. I'm Neil Buchan, and I'm chairman of Castletown Heritage Society. We operate Castle Hill Heritage Centre, a few miles due south of the most northerly point on the UK mainland. Our village of Castletown was established in the early 1800s to provide accommodation and services for the workforce of the Castle Hill Pavement Works, which was established by Sheriff Deputy James Trail to commercially exploit the extraction, finishing and export of Caithness flagstone. On the back of this thriving industry, Castletown became relatively prosperous, and even after flagstone production ceased in 1911, the village continued to flourish. Life in our rural village, however, was turned on its head when, some 40 years later, the outbreak of World War II hostilities thrust Caithness into the front line, not least due to the threat of German invasion from Norway. In late 1939, the site for a new airfield for fighter aircraft was chosen at Castletown, and on June 1940, just one day before the fall of Norway, RAF Castletown became an operational fighter station of No. 13 Group Fighter Command. To begin with, the effect on the village was minimal, but before long, this changed dramatically. At its height, the station's strength was officially 1,227 people. But when aircraft squadron staff and operational support personnel are included in the total number, it's probably nearer to 2,500. This had an overwhelming impact on life in and around Castletown, with many of the village buildings, houses and land being taken over for operational or billeting duties. Life for the servicemen, women and ground crew at RAF Castletown, however, was more relaxed than those based at stations further south. A good number of squadrons spent a few months at Castletown for training, and many of the pilots who had survived the bloody melee of the Battle of Britain were sent north for recuperation before returning to the main circuses of war. Our Christmas Highland object perhaps reflects a more relaxed moment in time for the service personnel. It is an official RAF Castletown Christmas 1943 dinner menu. It was donated to us many years ago by Stephen Wines from Ontario in Canada, who had a family connection to RAF Castletown at the time. The pale cream-coloured menu card is some 6 inches by 4 inches, printed in blue-grey ink, and is in remarkably good condition. What makes it particularly poignant are the 34 signatures on the front and back of the station personnel who were presumably sitting at the same table in the mess hall. From our records... The main squadron serving at RAF Castletown during Christmas 1943 was 118 Squadron, who were there from 19th of October 43 to the 19th of January 44. They flew Mark 5B Supermarine Spitfires, and their principal role was the defence of naval shipping around the North Passages and the British fleet in nearby Scapaflow in Orkney. The menu reads, The commanding officer and officers wish all NCOs, airmen and wafts a happy Christmas and a victorious New Year. On offer for dinner was tomato soup to start, followed by roast stuffed turkey, sausages, bread sauce, roast potatoes and Brussels sprouts, and then Christmas pudding with brandy sauce and dessert, if available, to finish. The occasion was rounded off with cigarettes and beer. Apart from the cigarettes, Christmas dinner menus really haven't changed that much, have we? Merry Christmas, everyone! Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas, everyone. Nolig Creel, a hula
Haunted Objects is brought to you by Expo North Heritage, which is supported by Museums and Heritage Highland, Museums Gallery Scotland, Creative Scotland, Highlands and Islands Enterprise and Historic Environment Scotland.